Welcome to Tapping Into What Matters, a CVR podcast where we sit down and chat with people like Joanna Taft. Joanna, what matters to you? Connecting people. In our first episode of 2020, we kick things off with a conversation about something that could serve us all well in this new decade, connection. Kelly Young spoke with Joanna Taft, the executive director of the Harrison Center. As a self-described generalist, she jokes that she doesn't know a lot about anything, but Joanna does know the value of connection and introduces us to a new activity, porching. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity to to interview. So thank you for joining us. Uh, Joanna, what does connecting people mean to you and why is that so important? Well, I think as I look back on my life, I realize that when I'm connected, when I'm connected to culture, when I'm connected to people, or when I'm connected to community or to place, and all those different ways, when I'm connected, I'm healthy. I'm healthy emotionally. I'm healthy just in every area of my life. And so as we think about what do we... What do we long for in our city? What do we long for in our neighborhoods? What do we long for in our workplaces, um, in our culture? It's to be connected. It's to be healthy. Is that something that just hit you one day, or is that something you had been thinking about? When did that? It was reflecting back about what made me passionate. And I realized that a lot of people say, oh, you know, starting things or fundraising or, um, you know, launching this. And, uh, and for each of those, I'd say, no, 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 that's not what makes me passionate. I'm like, connecting connecting people, connecting ideas, connecting people to ideas, connecting people to opportunity, connecting people to place, to culture, those things. And and that's what I was like connecting. That's what I do. I really don't know anything. Like I don't know anything about anything, really. I just connect people. And that's um, that's what makes me uh, tick. Yeah, well, you were a huge connector for us here at CVR and some of the work that we did with Citizens Energy Group and some local artists um, a couple years ago with the Dig Indie Art Project. So can you maybe give some unique examples of connections and connecting people that have really mattered to you? I'm sure there's a broad scope and that's a big question, but some that maybe hit you more than others? It could be simple. It could be um, you could know a, a friend that it's feeling disconnected in some way. And, you know, you know that moment when you introduce them to the right friend or you introduce them to an opportunity and then the light bulb just kind of goes off. So that's that happens to be, you know, every day. I get emails from people that are looking for connections of some point, some sort. And so, it's exciting answering those emails and, and right away being able to make that connection, whether to a job or whether to um, a social opportunity or something. You know, every project that I've been involved in had been the result of connections. You know, I started here in high school. I started the Harrison Center. Uh, I started the City Gallery in these Urban Living Center. I started pre-enactment theater. All of these things, um, I, as I said earlier, I'm not, I'm a generalist. I'm not, like, I really... I joke about not really knowing about anything. I'm not an educator. You know, I'm, I'm not an artist. I'm not a uh, community development professional. Yet those projects were successful because of the connections, because I connected people. I connected ideas. I brought people together around an idea. But you're not giving yourself enough credit because that's amazing. So you started Heron High School in Harrison Center. I mean, like, where does that come from? That's awesome. Um, so it, it was just all organic. It was I was a neighbor, and I wanted my neighborhood to be healthy. And um, when people are connected, and when people are able to gather in groups, they're healthier. And, and I was thinking, what does my neighborhood need? It, it had a lot of challenges. It needs places for people to gather. It needs a school. It needs 
um, an art center, it needs a church, it needs um, theater, it needs, you know, these different elements. And so uh, for each project, it was kind of gathering people around that idea and saying, let's make our neighborhood healthier. Um, let's let's address this community problem. Let's address the graduation rate. Let's address, address the issue of uh, people moving out to the suburbs when their kids turn five um, and the effect that has on a neighborhood. And so for each of those projects, we were thinking about a very specific community challenge and then connecting people around a solution to that challenge. So for those listeners who maybe don't know you or don't know the community that we're talking about, can you talk about the community and maybe then and now? Sure. Um, So my husband and I moved to Indianapolis in 1991 with a three-month-old baby. And we moved into a house that had been vacant for seven years. And we actually thought that was fun. Like, I would not do it now. (laughs) I would not do it now. We camped in one room with our three-month-old. And, um, and slowly fixed up the house. And we actually hired a lot of the work out, but we made sure we hired people that worked at the same level that we did. So it looked like we did it ourselves. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You're like, oh, that small project? Yeah, no problem. Uh, no, so what I'm saying is the quality wasn't quite there. <laughs> oh, I gotcha, gotcha. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but anyway, so we, you know, we were fixer-uppers. And um, and at that time, at that point, Heron Morton, um, had maybe a third of the uh, properties were actually had livable houses, and then a third had vacant houses that weren't habitable, habitable, and then another third were just vacant lots. And so if you think about that, really only a third of the neighborhood was inhabited. And so imagine my moving into this neighborhood and buying a vacant house with my three, and having this little three-month-old and in the first week, um, a neighbor said, you know, we, have a, we actually have a neighborhood association and we have a newsletter. Um, could you hand that out in, on your block? And I said, no. <laughs> I was afraid to leave my porch. Oh, too funny. Oh, my what goodness. made you move into that neighborhood? Oh, you, you want to know all my stories? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how uh, much time do we have? Well, we were moving here from out of town, and we had a three-month-old that screamed all the time we were in a car. And so I, was, I said to my husband, I can't do it. I cannot look for a house. You find a house, and I'll just go there. Kind of through a network, he found a vacant five-bedroom home, and I was like, I wanted a five-bedroom home, and there you have it. <laughs> there I had it, yeah. There but it. he had uh, great foresight because Heron, Heron Morton today is a neighborhood where families want to be. Today yeah. is a neighborhood that honors its history. Today, it's a neighborhood that wants to be inclusive, wants to be diverse, and but celebrates um, bringing people together. And it's one of the best neighborhoods for connecting. That's amazing, and uh, credit to you for what you've done there with Heron High School and then and Harrison Center as well too. So. Um, you talked about when um, people are connected, they're healthy. And I know that your community definitely is healthy. How can other communities get that health? Our family sits on our porch a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we porch, it's a verb. And we started doing that in 2007. We didn't know it was porching then, um, but we were hanging out with friends. They actually got the best TV in the neighborhood. I love it. And um, so we'd go hang out on the porch with them, kind of tailgating before the, the football game. But eventually um, the season ended and we kept sitting on the porch. And so I realized over a course of several years that I really looked forward to Sunday afternoon. I really looked forward to sitting on the porch. And we'd send out a text at two o'clock saying porch. That was the only word, porch, question mark. And by three o'clock, we'd be gathered on somebody's porch. And I realized how healthy it made me feel uh, to be known, to be loved, to be a part of something. And I thought, you know, I think that more people need this. We all have been affected by modernization. We have privacy fences. We have TVs, air conditioning. We have things that draw us in. 
And we've kind of lost that idea of a front porch. We've lost that idea of a neighborhood where you're known. It can be really uncomfortable to be known, by the way. Right, right. (laughs) Because I'm not perfect, right? Yes. Um, But we need to be known as humans. We need to be known. And and so um, having that regular liturgy, I guess, that of of sitting on the porch with people that where you share your story and where you share your week, really powerful. And so in 2014, um, as we were thinking about some neighborhood challenges, I thought, you know, I learned this in my personal life. I want to apply this to neighborhoods across the city. And so the Harrison Center launched an initiative called Porch Party Indy. And um, it's grown, and we've, we have a wonderful partner, um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that actually helped us take it around the state. It's been in 52 different counties. And it's something that is simple. It's incredibly simple. You sit on your porch. People say, I need instructions. I don't know what to do. Right. You, s- you sit on your porch. Right. <laughs> Isn't it sad that, that today we need instructions for how to, how to porch? Um, but when, when you porch and when you um, invite people in, um, it makes you healthy. And, and you said you've been porching since 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to bring it up later too, even in this podcast. But you're even known to make guests wrap up in old army blankets and when it's cold. So you do this year round. Yeah. We can find you on Sundays oh, out yeah. and, uh, oh, yeah. on your porch. But what I've learned is that people actually <laughs> want to sit on the porch. Um, if I invite them in in the, in the winter and we go inside, it's a little bit of a downer. Really? Like people want to sit on the porch. And so we have all these uh, like World War II blankets. Like my dad and my husband's dad were both in World War II. Wow. So we have Navy and Army blankets. Some of them are stained. And we like to imagine like what bullet wound oh, or, gosh, you know, whatever. Yeah, to have stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, so we um, we wrap people up in blankets. And um, every once in a while, my husband will say, I just don't think it's very hospitable <laughs> to make them sit on the porch. And I say, honey, they don't have to come. These folks want to come. Right, right. They, they're wanting to come to my porch. So um so I, I, there's something magical about sitting on the porch, even in the winter. And is it the same group of people? Do you have different people from 2007 to 2019, yeah. the, dif- the different people that have been porching with you? It has evolved. Um, when we first started, there were three couples um, that lived in the neighborhood, and we were the committed ones that every Sunday we porched. And then there was always room for four to six others. And we try to mix, um, not have the same people. Okay. So we have the six committed people, and then we'd like to switch it out. So imagine getting an invitation saying, Kelly, would you like to come porch with us this yes, week? Yes. And then I'd have to say, now, you can only come this week, and you can never, <laughs> ever come again. <laughs> I know. I'd wonder what I did wrong. That, <laughs> so that's always like an awkward conversation because people come, and they're like, I love this. I want to porch every week. And I'm like, you can't. You can't. It was just your <laughs> one-time chance. What I want them to do is I want them to experience it, and then I want them to go back to their porch or to their front yard because you don't have to have a porch, by the way. We, we can talk about that in a minute. But Go back to your neighborhood and do the same thing. We need a movement of porching. If if the Tafts are hosting all the porches, that that the porchers that that doesn't do it. Hey. Yeah. So the, we started out that way, and then um, I've always had kind of my my core of uh, four to six folks. Um, and the last few years, I've gotten a lot more interested in diversity and and making um, my world a richer place with meeting people from different backgrounds. And so I always try to have people that. Um, live in a neighborhood that's not like mine or or from a different age bracket. And so we have 20-somethings and, um, you know, 70-year-old and, you know, people from different um, different backgrounds. And, and the conversation is not always easy. Um, mm-hmm, I'm sure. I've, I've learned that, you know, my traditions and my way of talking and my – we all have been – 
given different habits from our parents, right? And and sometimes those clash a little bit, but I've learned it's the long term game, and um, and I'm choosing to be in community, and I'm choosing to be in community with people that might not be just like me. And going back to the importance of connections for you and connecting people, it sounds like that's a great opportunity not only for you personally to make some amazing connections, but hopefully those people are making connections as well too. Right. And like you said, whether they take it out to their own neighborhoods or communities or just the connections that they made during that time as well, too. Right. We've had some marriage proposals. Oh, we gosh, had, you know, right. literally we had um, some people meet on our porch that have gotten married. Um, we've had people launch major cultural initiatives. We've had people find jobs. You know, we've we've cried through breakups. You know, oh, we've, we've yeah. had it all. Yeah. Well, I'd say from over the last couple of years, that's quite a that's a quite a long time and a great commitment that you've had too. But I didn't want to lose sight. You said you don't have to have a porch. So, you know, people always want to have instructions. How do I porch? And right. and a lot of people will say, you know, I can't porch. I, I don't have a porch. So if you live in the suburbs, um, I think the idea is you want to know your neighbors and you want to have your eyes on the street. That's the most powerful thing when you have your eyes on the street. And so sit in your front yard. Um, I read about a woman in South Carolina that actually bought a picnic table and and it was so countercultural to put the picnic table in her front yard. Yes. Um, and she did it. And the neighbors were all shocked. You know, like, who is this crazy woman putting a picnic table in the front yard? But over time, every Thursday night, the neighbors started to gather at her front in her front yard around that picnic table. Um, other people turned their um, their driveway and put a bonfire, you know, or um, a little, what are those called? This little um, oh, fire pit, yeah, fire pit, pits. Mm-hmm. yeah, on their fire, uh, and invite the neighbors over. That the driveway can be a really powerful place. Um, somebody called me called me recently and said, "I live in a high rise in Chicago. What should I do?" Right. And I thought, wow, that would be exciting. What would you do? And I said, I don't know, but here's an idea. What would happen if you open your doorway to the hallway? And what if, if you sat just inside your doorway and treated your like entry as a as a porch? Yeah. And what if you got maybe your other neighbors to do the same thing? And what if every Sunday you opened your doors and you turned the hall into a little party and the hallway, you know, is the street, right? Your right, eyes are on right. the street. And so they're going to try that. And who oh, knows? I hope who she knows? tells yeah, you about yeah. it. Will she stay in touch? I don't know. I don't so, know. Because yeah. I live out in New Palestine, which, so I'm on three acres. Oh, wow. And I am one where I'm thinking, gosh, I don't know that I would put a picnic table out because we're not in a neighborhood. Yeah. Or probably 10 houses yeah. around us. Um, and we're on a 200. I mean, it's pretty fairly busy street, but we're kind of back in our, you know, three acres with trees and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'd have to think about that. That's a, that's a great thought of connecting it. But we see everybody pass by us and sometimes driving way too fast. Well, it's always a challenge to figure out how do you apply that idea to your culture and to your place. And, but I think there are ways to do it because if the idea is all about connecting and all about being known and having your eyes into the community, there, there are ways to figure that out. I I love that. I'll have to now, is there a re- now? I'm now I'm thinking. Okay, is there a resource? I'm one of those people where I'm like, maybe I do need that toolkit. Because do you have a topic that you also? Uh, we, cover, we've tr- we've tried that. We did um, two uh, years when we were promoting porching. We actually provided conversation cards. Okay, I remember that. We've learned that most people they end up not really using them. Like okay. you, you end up printing those and and they're not really used. Um, so. We don't do that anymore. We do have a rack card that has ten, of 10 steps to porching that we okay. are happy to mail out to anybody that wants it. Okay. We have a how to porch video that is on um, Vimeo that I can share with folks. Oh, There's a Facebook page called Porch Party Indie. And if you dig into it, you'll see a lot of videos and a lot of resources that we've posted over the years. 
but anyone can email me and I'll send them, I'll send them the fun stuff. Oh, that's so great. Okay. What's your email address before? Uh, jtaft at harrisoncenter.org. Okay. And so for any of my friends that are listening, they're like, let's, let's figure out that porch party. I'll, I'll figure it out for new pal people. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make that commitment on air today. With oh, Joanna that's great. Um, so talk a little bit about your day job because I, I know you said you started Harrison Center as mm-hmm. well too. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that and, and maybe the role that you play there and, and again that passion for connecting people. So when uh, we moved into the neighborhood and we were thinking about you know how do we build um, a, a healthier neighborhood, um, so the opportunity this building was a, a nearly vacant building and we had the opportunity to dream new life into it and the neighborhood wanted an art center and I didn't have an art background but I understood the power of the arts to connect people. My parents had done a good job in taking me to museums all over the world but I'd never really been in the gallery scene and the idea of the gallery scene was really intimidating to me and so um, I only knew one artist in town. I knew Kyle Ragsdale Yes, and so Kyle and I we had done some volunteer work together and so I I asked him if he wanted to be my partner in crime and, and so we kind of Worked together to um, to build the Harrison Center, and um, you know, I just realized that if I felt intimidated by a gallery, probably ninety nine percent of Indianapolis did, because it's not really a matter of wealth. You can be rich or poor and still be intimidated by the arts, and so we really began to plan the type of organization that people felt comfortable because the arts are off-putting. So how do we make people, how do we make the Harrison Center a place where people feel known and loved? And that's a phrase that we use a lot. So. Um, one time, Kyle, who's amazing, um, was putting together a show, and I walked into the gallery a couple days before the opening, and it was the the medium was um, used fabric. Okay, used fabric. <laughs> sure. Give me a break. How am I, how am I going to get people to feel comfortable around that? Right. 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 So I thought, oh my goodness, people are going to walk in. They're going to say cool because they know that word, sure. and then they're going to leave <laughs> right, right. before anybody asks them any questions, right? Don't and make so, eye contact with anybody. Ex- I just wanted to see Exactly. It so that night, I cut 600 pieces of string, and when people walked in, I handed them a piece of string. And um, ever played string games? Like, uh, oh, yes, yes. Um, what is it called? Jacob's Ladder or Teacup mm-hmm. and all that. So we handed them string, and we invited them to kind of do something with their hands to make do these string games. And, of course, people weren't looking at the art. They were doing the string games. And then they'd see somebody across the room doing the teacup, right? And they're like, oh my goodness, I did that in third grade. And they run over to that person. And all of a sudden they're connecting, right? That word, connecting. They're connecting with someone they had never met before. And we watched that happening. And then all of a sudden you watch the shoulders relax. And then suddenly they look up at the gallery and they see this used fabric draped (laughs) around, artfully draped around the gallery. And all of a sudden they started saying, why are you showing used fabric? They would never have asked that question. Right. They would never have asked that question, except we gave them something to do with their hands, and we gave them something that was a little bit not what they were expecting to do at a gallery. And so we've kind of built that reputation of um, the Harrison Center is a place where you can ask questions. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to know the language, the insider language of the art world. Um, but it's a place where... Um, we can celebrate beauty and we can get to know our neighbors and we can just enjoy being a community. We can feel connected. Yeah. Going back to that experience, do you think they felt more connected to you than too? And more co- that connection made them feel more comfortable? Exactly. I think that um, whenever 
we, we really try to get people to use all their senses when they come to the hair center. And the, the more, the more senses you're using, the more of a connection you, you have. And so we have many people tell us about these experiences that they had at the Harrison center, whether it's sitting around a fire, um, or whether it's doing something with their hands or making a piece of art or listening to something. Um, we don't want people to come in and just look. Mm-hmm. We want them to use other senses as well. And that has um, created a a, long, a large and loyal following, but also what I feel is a really healthy community. Yeah, and I want to touch on the, um, and I'm going to probably describe it wrong, but the large community table that uh-huh. you, because that, yeah. that, that was another one of those yes. un, unexpected surprises yes. that when you showed it to me, I just think that that's so fabulous. Yeah, so the story is that we were renovating our gallery. The plan was to fix the walls. And, you know, you start these projects and somehow you're working on the ceiling too. And <laughs> Sure. You don't know how that happens, but we ended up ripping out this ugly drop ceiling. And when we did that, there was all this extra framing lumber um, in the ceiling that had been holding the, the drywall up. And the contractor said, now you need to rip out this framing lumber, and then you can see the expanse of the ceiling, that this four more feet of space above you. And I said, well, I'll rip out that old wood, you know, but I'm not throwing it away. It's 100 years old. I'm going to commission a table. Of course you are. And they looked at me like I was a crazy woman. This <laughs> happens to me repeatedly, Kelly. People keep looking at me like I'm crazy. No. So um, I commissioned Matthew Osborne, who's um, an Eastside furniture designer, and he built this amazing table. And as he was building it, people said to me, Joanna, you have no place to store this table. The, the Harrison Center is rented out of every square inch to artists. There's right. no extra space. And so I looked up. I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, that's where we're storing the table. And it took me <laughs> again, a year. you got to look. Exactly. She's crazy. It took me a year and a half, but I found um, theater was my solution. I found a theater rigging company and they actually designed a system so I can literally push a button. And at the push of a button, a table descends full of food with wine in the glasses. It doesn't spill at all and lands on the floor. And I can push another button and it goes back up into the ceiling. So we've had an amazing time building a community meal around that, around art and about community. And we do this monthly. It's called Art Dish. And um, we also do private events so people can rent the table for their own private art dish. But it's really become a, it's a, it's a magical, but um, it's um, it's meaningful. And an idea that uh, you're following your passion and, and purpose with that and probably saw that as, again, another opportunity to connect people right. in a different and unique way, which I think is Amazing. Um, I, w- I want to make sure people understand everything about Harrison Center because I've had the privilege of being there and, and working with you and attending First Fridays and and seeing the space. But can you kind of maybe walk through for listeners who aren't familiar with the Harrison Center yeah. what they might expect um, yeah. to see if they come? Yeah. So the Harrison Center is sixty five thousand square feet, and um, it's this historic church. I'm sorry, historic church building at 16th and Delaware. It takes up, um, starts at 15th Street, ends at 16th Street. There are 36 artists that have studios there, um, and you can wander and explore. There's old catacombs. There's attic space. There's secret rooms. And then there's six galleries that change art monthly. Um, that's really hard work, by the way, Kelly, to have six galleries with yeah. six new bodies of work every month. Every month. But we are committed to doing that because Indianapolis um, needs a gallery, a space like that where so we can show more artists um, and provide more service to artists. So that's really exciting. Um, on First Friday, you can come and wander the building. We have dances in the gym. We have um, alternative spaces where there's spoken word or pop-up concerts or uh, people whistling. <laughs> 
whistling. We had what? A, I might be able to beat that person. Oh, some of my favorite things are we had an opera singer singing in the stairwell one night, and we've had people whistling, men with beards, okay, whistling in the bathroom. That bathroom is really great acoustics. But for but that was on purpose, on purpose. or they were okay on okay, purpose. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's different. Um, we've we've done knit graffiti. We've um, you know we've knit our the spindles to our staircases. We've we've um, we, we've done it all. So yes. it's a, it's a space where. Um, we can be creative together. We can be silly together. We can be amazing together, but together and being connected is is the key. That is so awesome. I want to talk a little bit about place because I know when I asked you about uh, connecting people, you said it was important to connect people through culture, community, and place. And I feel like we've touched on the cultural side and everything that you're doing uh, there at the Harrison Center, the community through porching. I think that's important, and, and you know you can. Uh, add to any of that, but but place, and I don't know if this was the right place for mm-hmm. me to put this here, but the is the pre-enact. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Because yeah. I, I um, had just recently read about that, and then you just recently won an award for that as well, yeah. too. And um, talk a little bit about that, because that, again, is community and connection as well, too. So the Harrison Center has done a lot of neighbor work, neighborhood work over the years, and we used to bring the arts to neighborhood to bring vitality to the neighborhood. And um, a couple years ago, that started bothering me. I wasn't quite sure why, but... Um, it realized I realized that there were neighbors that were not excited about this idea of vitality. I didn't really get it. There were homeowners; they weren't going to be pushed out. Why would they not be? Why would they be nervous about that? What I realized was that art is powerful. Art is so powerful that art does change things. And unless you understand that, you need to be careful of what you're what you're changing. Um, you can't just play with art. You need to be very intentional. And so we've realized that um, there's been, there have been a lot of neighborhood, beautiful and wonderful neighborhood changes in Indianapolis. We, we want to have stronger neighborhoods, but there have also been people that have been, that have felt left out of the change. And so going forward, the Harrison Center has been committed to using art to help people feel included, not art that brings vitality, even though okay. that's not wrong to bring vitality sure. to a neighborhood. Um, our goal is to bring people together and to use art to feel, for people to be included. So um, the neighborhood where we're focusing right now is called Monon 16, and that's where the Kennedy King and the um, Hillside neighborhoods come together at the Monon. That is a neighborhood that is kind of ripe for gentrification. Um, and we started working in that neighborhood when there were 400 vacant lots and we knew the developers would be coming. And we thought, could we get into that neighborhood before the developers? And could we use art to elevate the neighborhood story, to elevate the long-term neighbors, to um, to make sure that the people moving in didn't see the neighborhood as a blank slate, but as a story that they're invited into, that they get to be a part of an existing story, not a neighbor, not erase the neighborhood. It was through that kind of getting preparing for that project that I realized that there are two kinds of gentrification. There's we've all heard about economic gentrification where people are pushed out through high rent or through um, taxes, but there's another kind of gentrification which we've been we've ignored, and that's cultural gentrification, okay. and that's when you erase the story of a neighborhood, and that's when people can live in the same neighborhood for their whole lives, but actually feel alone in their own neighborhood because their story has been erased. Interesting. And so we use the arts to elevate that story and to invite even the new people into the story that's already there. Yeah, I love that. And so pre-enact indie, um, and I probably should be, um, well, Connor Prairie does a reenactment. We've all been to different kinds of reenactments. Right. Well, we decided that we didn't want to act out uh, the past because the 
the good old days really weren't that good. Right. Right. Okay. Um, the neighbors were always talking about the past, but we needed to actually think about the future. And so we thought we would develop a new form of theater called pre-enactment and actually hire professional actors to act out a world that ought to be, a world okay. of justice okay. and mercy. And so we are, our stage is a three-block stretch. It's from uh, on the 16th Street from the Monon to Angie J. Brown. Uh, the set designers build temporary buildings. We built 11 temporary buildings on the vacant lots, a theater, restaurants, you know, things that you need for a healthy neighborhood. And then the actors took on different roles, um, the entrepreneur, the church lady, the youth workers, you know, all these different key um, community building roles in the neighborhood, the barber, and they acted out a world that ought to be. And we've done this three years in a row. Okay. And um, it is really, uh, we plan a year in advance. You know, I just had a planning meeting this morning um, with any neighbor who wants to come can attend those planning meetings. And um, out of that program, Pre-Enact Indy, we launched another program called the Gratriarchs. Okay. Have you heard of the Gratriarchs, no, Kelly? I haven't. Well, you know what a matriarch is. Yes. You know what a patriarch is. Yes. Well, we're so, so we're so cool. We're gender neutral. <laughs> so we started this program called the Gratriarchs, and we and we do these amazing portraits of these long term residents, and we hang them outside uh, as public art on vacant buildings, and it's a way of inviting new people into the story of the neighborhood. And then we have a monthly Gratriarch gathering, which is a social activity for these long term residents of the urban neighborhoods, and uh, you know, a meal and, and social activity and then other kind of field trips and other um, porching and other things throughout the month. And so uh, the Gratriarch initiative is a, is a big part of our programming now, but that kind of was one of those beautiful things that came out of our pre-enact indie work. I love it. I The first time I met you, Joanne, I, I, I remember just coming to you with an idea and I left with my head spinning and 20 <laughs> others. You took one idea and exploded. Your creativity uh-huh. is is amazing. And, and, you know, where, where do you find that? Where do you find your creativity? Where do you find your inspiration? Community. So if you've been to my office, Kelly, you know that I don't have an office. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm at these lovely CVR offices right now. And you have these co-working spaces right. where people are learning from each other and communicating and seeing each other. Um, so we, we do that in the city gallery. That is our um, co-working space. And it's just amazing as people come in and out during the day and the ideas that we share what we create. I love it. So what's next for Joanna Taft? What's next for Harrison Center? What's next for Indy? Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing that I've, I realized that the pattern I've had was starting things I didn't know anything about. <laughs> So I was like, what do I not know anything about? <laughs> there's a lot of things out there. So I, I think it. that there's a little bit of time left in my career. But um, I'm really excited about um, entrepreneurship right now, Okay. Um, equitable entrepreneurship. So um, we do have a cultural entrepreneur program at the Harrison Center that is uh, we've been, I think we've had since 2000 and six. And we have about 30 interns, college and high school interns that go through that program every year. Um, but we're thinking about um, what would it look like to scale that program? And what would it look like to add another element and work with emerging entrepreneurs that are trying to make it in Indianapolis, but need a little bit more social capital, need a little bit more capital. Capital. We're dreaming with the community about what it would look like to start a hub for entrepreneurship in the city. And I'm excited to see what will happen. Yeah. And um, I know that it's going to be hard work, but I'm kind of bored. I'm 55. So, I, I, you know, I need a challenge. So, <laughs> and why so, not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. All right. Last question. And I, I'm just throwing this at you, uh, you know, through connections and your porch parties and everything else. Who is the one person right now that you'd want to connect with that you haven't connected with? 
Oh, wow. Or that one person that you'd want to be at your porch party that, that maybe you haven't extended mm. the invitation or you just want them to show up. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, I will tell you who a really fun porch party guest has been in the past. Okay, I wouldn't mind we'll if he came back. So John Green has been to my porch <gasps> a couple times. Oh, my daughter would be so jelly. Um, and he's actually agreed to work on a porch party video for us, a how to porch video for next spring. Oh, how so fun. I, he is so smart, so funny. So many different kinds of people can connect with him. So, you know, John, if you're listening to this and you want to come back, you're, you're always welcome. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate you coming down to our offices. And like I said, I, I, I'm always in awe by your creativity and your ideas and, and just your passion for connection. So thanks for sharing that with us today. And I and, uh, appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Kelly Young. I'm Meg McLean, and this has been Tapping Into What Matters with Joanna Taft. To learn more about the Harrison Center and to become part of the art around Indy, visit harrisoncenter.org. We hope to see you out there porching with your family and friends sometime in 2020. This podcast is a CVR production located at the corner of New York and College. If you would like to know more about CVR or are interested in joining us on this podcast to discuss what matters to you, please reach out to Kelly Young at kyoung at cvrindy.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Tapping Into What Matters.